Welcome, welcome, welcome. This is the Distraction Pieces Podcast, episode 421. And man, have we got a special one for you this week. Um, A lot of you will know that for 10 years, I had a club night called We Are Lizards. You used to have to hear me promote it on the intros and outros of this podcast. Uh, We ended up having 10 years of sold out shows, which is absolutely insane. And then at the end of 2019, we decided to call it a day. Turns out that was the best timing ever because a few months later a pandemic hit and every club closed. But that was almost two years ago t- to the day. So I thought I'd get the lads back together. Me, Stu Whiffin, DJ Destruction, a.k.a. R- R- Ross, Discotech Credits, a.k.a. Bill, and Christopher Glasson. I thought I'd get the lads back together and, uh, yeah, see... See if we've got some good stories and and reminisce because you got to remember that we are lizards is where the the drunk cast kind of idea came from. It was us pissing about and being wallies there that that started all that. Um, that there will also be it should be up now an accompanying Spotify playlist that all of us put forward some tracks so you can have a little we are lizards party in your living room in your headphones on the bus on the way to work wherever you listen. Yeah, it's a two-parter because we really g- got into it. But um, yeah, this is episode 400. Oh, I should mention, Speech of Element Records is where you can get all my merch. And patreon.com forward slash Pip is where you can get, um, you can support the podcast on Patreon. But for now, this is part one of episode 421 of the Distraction Pieces podcast. We were lizards. Right, I am here today with Stuart Whiffin. Hello, Stu. Hello. A, a regular on the podcast, but two people who I don't think I've had on before. I've heard them on numerous of Whiffin's podcasts, I think, but <laughs> they're, t- they're two of our, our We Are Lizards crew. It's Ross Emmons, a.k.a. DJ Destruction. How are you doing, Ross? All good. Good to be here. And, <laughs> and the late Bill <laughs> Shepherd, um, a.k.a. <laughs> Discotheque credits. How you doing, Bill? Hi, right, gents. Good that's, to see you. That's only a joke because, as we've explained before, we got rolling. You were never actually late, but you gave me and Stu regular heart attacks because you would always arrive, sometimes within five minutes of your set. Yeah, but it, it's dangerous because if you're cycling and people are texting you, where are you? You have to stop <laughs> or try and text whilst you're on the bike. So it's yeah. you know, it's completely true. Imagine getting there a bit earlier, but um. <laughs> Yeah, it's 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 good fun. We're, we're meant to have Chris here, who is the fifth lizard, but he's not turned up so far, which is quite appropriate because one of the things I had noted was the amount of times Chris told us with two or three days to go that he was like on a ski lift in Austria um, and completely <laughs> didn't realise we had the club night. How was that for you, Joe, it definitely happened at least once a year, didn't it? That he'd go, "Oh, lads!" Like it's when we'd send through the set times, and we'd all been promoting the club night for weeks, posting about it, really trying to bring the crowds in. And then Chris would go, "Oh, I'm, I'm actually on a ski holiday." I think you're being generous by saying that was once a year. Uh, 
I, I probably <laughs> say that was maybe two or three times a year. And we only had six events most years anyway. I know one year he missed more than he attended. <laughs> <laughs> but, but I think averaging out, there was definitely a good few years at the start that um, he, he he made all of them. Yeah, but yeah, it was quite it was quite hit and miss. But yeah, well, we decided to have this catch up because in two thousand nineteen, or the end of two thousand nineteen, we ended our We Are Lizards club night that started in two thousand and ten. So we did two thousand and ten r- 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 right up to twenty twenty, and then within. Four months, five months, every club in the world closed. <laughs> so <laughs> I feel that was kind of a big reaction to um, to the demise of We Are Lizards. But I thought it'd be nice for us to, to have a catch-up and, and reminisce some of our favourite moments and, yeah, and see each other's faces f- for the first time in a while. Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, so, Stu, do you want to kind of start with how the club night came about? Because it was... You, me, and and the absent Chris Glasson, who kind of came up with the idea and started it, mm. and then it was you who kind of chose our collaborators as such. Yeah, so I, I know that you, you and Chris had done sort of sporadic bits and pieces under the sort of guise of you know Redshift and the was it the Satin Lizard Land, Satin Lizard yep. Land, yeah, and and I think that was back when you were doing lots of spoken word and, and stuff like that. And Chris was kind of cutting his teeth as, you know, going out as a DJ rather than him being a sort of bedroom DJ. And so it just got to the point where I'd kind of, I've started to, I don't know how to say this without saying like toss, I started to do all right as a promoter in, in East London. You know, mm-hmm. I had a night that um, that Bill was at, uh, was a resident at, that was uh, a night called Session, which was fronted by the actor Matthew Horn, uh, who at the time was, with the boy about town because of the success of Gavin and Stacey and such. And so I, I kind of realised that working with people that were taken seriously in, in the arts, whether that be music, acting, whatever, can be a really good way to kind of build a, a club brand. And uh, and obviously, knowing that you was just up the road in, in Essex, I thought, I'd you know, we'd put on an, uh, a, a Dan and Pip gig together uh, in yeah. South End, and I remember at the time you'd also come down to the to the session night. On it might even have been. Did I get you out on New Year's Eve? It wasn't New Year's Eve, I don't think, but it was. Yeah, you got me to come and do spoken word mm. at session, and it was the worst gig <laughs> I've I've ever done because it was M- Matt Horn DJing, and then turn off all the music, sp- spotlight on Pip uh, with a microphone, and I'd done one of them. It might have been for you guys, actually. I did one in Chelmsford. Yeah, that was a club was NME. Yeah. I did one in Chelmsford, and it went amazingly. So I was like, this is mad that I got to do spoken word at like 1am, and it went off. Mm. So I was quite r- relaxed and confident, and midway through my set, someone turned the speakers off, <laughs> like a punter, re- because the, the, the sound man had popped out for a fag. A punter reached over and just turned the speakers down. <laughs> Because he was bored of it, so I turned the monitors over <laughs> because he didn't turn down the speakers on stage, so that the few people who were listening could could hear me. Yeah, absolutely awful it's, idea. It's tricky though when you do strip down kind of sets at club nights, and you've got certainly when you have people from your hometown of Stamford turn up, they can be troublesome. We'll get onto that later, I'm sure, Bill. But. Um... <laughs> But yeah, so I, I I did that, and then you suggested we do our own mm. cl- club night. And I think because you were doing s- 
session. Or where were you doing session? At the Queen of Hoxton. And, At the Queen of Hoxton. And they obviously and, own the, yeah, the, 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 book the book club. club. Yeah. So, so that hit you up, I guess, to, to see if you had anything else you wanted to do or did you approach them? With- I, I approached them. I just said, yeah. like, look, I'm me and my mate who's obviously, you know, at the time you was predominantly doing music. Uh, I said, look, we, we want to put a club night on. And I'd kind of, I guess, earned my stripes at their other venue. So there wasn't any kind of sort of issue with them giving me a night at, at their reopened venue, uh, the book club. Uh, and, and again, like I did when we launched session, you try, if you launch your nights as, as venues open, you ride the wave of, of PR that the venue's throwing at it as well. Yeah. And it's the new venue yeah. in town. So we opened, you know, a, a great time. We opened, you know, the, the club night as, as the venue was new and there was a lot of attention on it. At that time, Shoreditch was a very sort of exciting, arty, diverse place. I'm sure that we'll touch on how the, the demographic of people that come clubbing in Shoreditch has changed over the time that we were there. Mm-hmm. But it was a really exciting time, it felt to me at uh, that time, and perfect for, for what we was going to do. And I'm sure you'll you'll talk more about our approach to what we was going to do with playlists and, and stuff like that. Yeah, oh, well, it kind of, I mean, speaking of playlists, like let's mention early on that there will be an accompanying Spotify playlist to give a vibe of what We Are Lizards was about. And it isn't a 100% accurate vibe because all of us, or three of us here, all made our own mixes and stuff like that as well. Stu just played 90s R&B. Yep. Um, but all the, the reference made our own mixes or got mashups and stuff like that, which aren't on, on Spotify. But still, it gives a good vibe. And there's a thing that I always feel like, um, when a band has a big breakout hit single... The reason a band becomes a one-hit wonder is because they've not got the body of work to then hold the audience. Like it's it's one thing to draw them in; it's another thing to hold them and build a rep. And I feel that my po- popularity at the time and the launch of the book club brought people in the door. But it was firmly Bill and Ross that g- gave us a reputation that allowed us to do ten years of kind of of sold-out nights and a really good party but to go back to those early days starting off as you touched upon we were doing you know a bit of spoken word or an acoustic act on early doors and yeah. then dj and that ended up going out the window because it didn't w- work as well but have you got g- g- got any particular memories of that any of you guys i've got one with king blues that made me laugh but anything come to mind for any of you guys it's not it's not really funny but it's i just when Queen Hoxton was running. It was great because that was really, really busy. And then quickly, Pip and Stu had the book club that was, again, really, really busy. So as a DJ, you're really lucky. You've got two separate audiences, two different styles of music to play at the weekends. So it's amazing. But the first wave of Lizards, we were playing a little bit of guitar music. We were playing old school hip hop. We were playing... It was kind of a proper sign of the times. And it probably won't be on the playlist because I think we just... We've looked at a the last couple of years. But the first, I remember playing like Django Django and and just, yeah. that, it was just coming out of that guitar. Pete and the Pirates, phase. I remember yeah. having a particular Pete and the Pirates song that I'd play every every week. And people, and Maccabees, and, and people would, people would call to listen to that next to hip hop. And that was, and then it just evolved a little bit more as, as moved in more into hip hop. And then we'll I get think into it's, that. But. I think it's how we got away with playing mashups because mashups were kind of going out of fashion at that point but because we were making our own me and chris made a load together that were melding indian hip-hop that there weren't so many of a more obscure indie like um i said not obscure but 
a Maccabees mashup and just all sorts of other more unusual stuff. And that went down nicely. That that because the night had that variation, it allowed us to do that. One of my memories of 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 one of the early and kind of what made me stop putting on live shows was we had King Blues in doing an acoustic set, and it was just after that sold out. I think it was Hammersmith Apollo or somewhere, and that had been a sold out gig, amazing. And we had them in, and there was a handful of people who cared about it, but a lot of people who just wanted to have a dance. And the bit that made me laugh, I remember they had a tech problem, and I remember J- Jamie was playing his his bass, and, and no s- sound was coming out. And there's us behind the decks, not sound men, but trying to figure out if we can help. And then he looked, he got the wire. It looked like he unplugged, he plugged in, and then he followed his lead and he followed it all the way into the bottom of Itchy's guitar and they were just plugged into each other, like <laughs> a like Lady and the Tramp and, and, and their spaghetti. So, yeah, th- that was a moment f- for me that made me go, yeah, this is this is a lot of fun. But, yeah, like, what did you think of the, the band side of it, Stu? Because that was the, originally the plan. As Bill said, part of the thing was a mixture of indie and spoken word and all sorts, but we quite—I'd say it was in the first year that we went. Nah, let's let's just play play music, or maybe the first couple of years. Yeah, I think I would say probably two years. It kind of sort yeah. of merged into more of what I guess Lizards was 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 better known for. I think it was a sign of the times, and obviously a lot of us have background in obviously not so much Ross, but me, you, and, and Bill have got a, a, a big background and love of kind of indie guitar music, and obviously. Yeah. Ross was bringing something very different to the table. And I think Bill being super versatile as well, like I think just through trial and error, really, and I, don't, I say that as if like there was error, but I don't think there was. I think it just naturally moved into being more beaty and dancey and more kind of groove-based. And, and, and I don't think there was ever like a, a moment where we all sat down and went, right, I'll tell you what, we're not, we're not playing Block Party anymore. Like I don't think yeah. that ever happened. It just, it, it, it was quite an organic thing. I, I I know the turning point for me. It was when I got more confident to not have planned out my hour set. Early days, planned out my whole hour. Here's exactly what I'm going to play. Because I was brand new to DJing, really. I had some D, uh, some CDJs, but I was learning at home. And when I got confident enough to not plan it all out was when I'd drink more. <laughs> and when I'm drunk, all I want to hear is aggressive hip-hop. So, so where it wasn't this... If it was this planned out conscious set then here it is. I'm going from this into that and this into that. But yeah, as soon as I started, just it, it became my one night out of the month because originally it was monthly. And yeah, I'd just get hammered and play aggressive, angry hip-hop. So, but you touched upon on 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 Ross. And one of the things I wanted to talk about was the rise of DJ destruction, I've known it as, because you became like a main attraction like people would come back b- because of your sets but you were also for a long while kind of our little secret because you were only playing at lizards so can we hear a little bit of your story because you had a past in djing but then it stopped and it was Stu that kind of said i've got a mate who used to be this amazing dj and isn't playing out much but let's get him in yeah just to start off with me and Stu were at school together and as Stuart knows we you know i started off turntablism and mixing when I was at school got to DJ on a few radio stations the early Kiss FM when that started Amazing. I battled Liam from the Prodigy yeah back in 1988 on LBC with Mike Allen and 
I progressed into the DMC Mixing Championships, which was uh, really cool. Yeah. Um, I was a Southeast uh, finalist in my first year in 1989, I think. 1991, 92, I was a UK finalist. And that I could springboard into kind of music and doing festivals. And I met Adam F., yeah, um, and I and I, I I was in his band to start off with on EMI Records, and we toured all over Europe. We played some of the biggest venues. We played at festivals, Glastonbury. We played Roskilden, Leeds Festival. Toured all over Europe, and that led to me getting into production. Yeah, and me and Adam teamed up because he'd just finished his uh, well, he just won the Mobile Award for his drum and bass album called Colors. Yeah. And I think everyone will be familiar with that. And he was under a lot of pressure from EMI Records to come up with this next album, which they wanted to break into America. So I was brought on board with my hip hop background. Um, I'd been into production. I, I, I kind of dabbled in making beats. I've always collected breaks and samples and applied my DJ knowledge to my production and got involved with that whole album, which came out um exactly 20 years ago this month yeah then after that i kind of carried on with the production uh, doing lots of remix work and then kind of lizards came around probably around when did we start it was about 2011 2010 i think yeah yeah and um i got a call from Stuart, and he was just like you know we're, we're sort of looking for some djs to dj on the night would you be up for it and I'm like, well... You hadn't done club DJing for a long time, had you? Not for a while. I, I, I was really into my production. But at that time, you know, I, I needed a bit of change. Mm. I needed a bit of change going on because there was not as much money in the record business. You know, everyone was downloading free MP3s. You know, there was no physical sales anymore, no vinyl. No one was buying CDs. So... Oh, it's it's two things there, really, on, on that kind of hip-hop... A production, the money had dropped out, and yeah, royalties had gone crazy. So sampling yeah. was fucking tough, and remixes were tough. And you know, white labels with everything going digital, white labels yeah. were kind of traceable as as such, or easy. Like yeah. it was harder to put things out without a budget. You know, mm. I remember me and Stu having a chat in a in a green room after a gig, and Stu went to me, "I've got this mate from school who's a DJ," and I. Everyone's heard that a hundred times. I was like, yeah, 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 yeah. Fast forward six months and like Ross is destroying the clubs. I was just like, I'm, I'm, I've got a mate who plays hip hop. Yeah, of course you have. And I was like, okay, cool. Yeah. And you could try and st- I'm still trying to step my game up like 10 years later. But yeah, it's a uh, ma- massively um, underrated DJ, Ross. Like you, you could hold it with, with the best of them, mate. Of, uh, oh, yeah. Well, one of our favourite things was getting our big, guest DJs down, like Zane Lowe, DJ Yoda, Eddie Temple, Morris, John Kennedy, all of these. And we'd always put Ross on either before or after them, largely because we wanted (laughs) them to see him. And they would all be like, who is this guy? Damn. And and yeah. And so, yeah, you kind of, you came in. I know at the time, Stu kind of guided you a little bit on on some of the indie stuff to start cutting into stuff. Yeah, he did. Yeah. and mix about but yeah you just you made it your own right i found my own little niche predominantly playing old school hip-hop but you know i i I was bringing scar into it old school funk break beats and mashups just like what you guys were doing and um 
you know, I found my own style of mixing, which I still do today. Yeah. You know, I, I just sort of keep working on it. I'm putting out mixes. You can go on my YouTube channel and you'll see exactly what, you know, what kind of styles I'm doing. Yeah. I mean, you're constantly on the road with like Harley Davidson and all, and Red Bull and all sorts of big, big brands now. So you're no longer yeah. our secret, but that's, that's, that, no. that's a good thing. But as I said, like, yeah, it was just a good springboard to get back into DJing. Yeah. And, and I wish I never, ever stopped, yeah. really. But in a way, I was carrying it because like, my production involves scratching yeah. and mixing samples. So, you know, it's the same thought processes that I have when I'm kind of putting a DJ set together. Sometimes it was just done live. Sometimes it was just off the cuff yeah. on those club nights. But sometimes it was planned, you know. But yeah, I... It was a good springboard into what I'm doing now, and I'm, I'm making a career out of just DJing and touring around. Yeah, it's it's good. There certainly became a point that I'd always make sure that you were on after me, um, because as touched upon, I'd get quite excited during my sets in my rubber lizard mask. It'd get hot, and I'd drink a lot. <laughs> so I'd come out, I'd go into my set sober, and come out quite drunk. And all I wanted was to have a danced to your set so it kind of worked perfectly to go right <laughs> let's go from that into this um and yeah that was always that was always a treat but equally as much as because of the scratching and because of some of the mashups and the almost the party tricks you definitely got a name in the club attention but i think if anyone epitomized lizards from start to finish it's bill because I think Bill was the one yeah. that had that wide variation. As I said, a lot of us went towards hip-hop, funk, all that kind of thing. Bill would be the one that we could rely on if we'd all been lazy and just gone club bangers or hip-hop bangers. Bill would be the one that would mix in disco, dance, indie, all sorts of stuff, and literally mix it in, like really make it all flow beautifully. So I think Bill was kind of at... at unsung hero in many ways of keeping mm. it the varied night that that we were known for it was known as a the thing we'd get the most is people coming up and going i thought it was a hip-hop night or i thought it was a this night and we'd always say no there's there's five hours or six hours or whatever it is to feel you're going to hear a lot of different stuff if you're here for hip-hop there's going to be some hip-hop but there's going to be a wide variation so what kind of informed your selection process and you're kind of like where you went with stuff. Well, I mentioned before, there's a bit of a crossover between like the end of Electro Clash, Indie Dance and bringing yeah. that piece. But because it's your night, Pip, and because you do spoken word and have got one foot in hip hop and one foot in that MySpace type culture, that's kind of where you come up. Yeah. It, almost, it almost gave carte blanche to kind of mix the two worlds. And that's what I tried to do. And then trying to follow our warm up for old Roscoe, it was like, right, what am I going to do? And then we start. I started make, making mashups just because. What? What? How are you going to follow that? And yeah. you haven't. I've got the technically ability that Ross has got. So it's like, well, what's next? So, how do you follow a DJ destruction set? Well, you're going to have to go and make you know a whole set from scratch. And not, you know, I didn't do it every every month, but yeah, a lot of those tunes that helped us segue between genres and stuff was pretty much Ross's fault. To be fair. There was a nice no diggity oh, as well. You, oh, you made some of the iconic Lizards mashups though, and I always remember being excited at one event th th that you couldn't make it to 
because I had a couple of them on CD. So I thought, oh, I can play them. <laughs> I can play a couple of Bill's productions because they, they would always go off. Like the No Scrubs and F- Fujila, was it? Well, we got so there was a yeah, no scrubs and lumidy, so it's a bit of a complete, <laughs> no scrubs I mean, and lumidy. That's right, yeah, yeah, yeah. I've said to Stuart like that was in, in the nicest terms, and it was it dr- was, dre and the Fujis, wasn't it? It was dre yeah, and there was uh, yeah, dre. Next and, episode, and that's it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was just look, a bag of at that at that moment, hip hop and R and B records were like a pound two quid in like record exchange so i would just go in there and just do that and buy a hundred take them home and have to work out all the bpms and some of the instrumentals i had to rebuild from scratch and yeah it was a bit of a, a labor of love but you know you couldn't really hear them anywhere else i did eventually put them out and get told to quickly take them down um from <laughs> various re- various record labels and then uh i've got a well i've got a good mate uh wes who works for defecting said if you do get sued you won't get sued once, you'll get sued twice. That's by everyone who made the instrumental and everyone who made the acapella. So they've quickly disappeared. So they're a rare uh, treat if any any DJs out there have grabbed them. Yeah. Oh, that's one of the things I loved about the club night, though, because I had people a few times, because I'd often f- film or put in my Instagram stories, number one, the queue, queue down the street that we had at every event, which is mind-blowing that we got to do that. And a bit of your set, a bit of Ross's set, a bit of my set. Normally not Stu's set because he had to turn it down quite a bit. <laughs> but yeah, f- filming bits here and there and people would ask, yeah. why don't you record a set or stream a set? And I always said no because I kind of l- loved the fact that it existed in that room and that room only. Like We did Lizards a few times in other places, but it never felt the same as the basement in the book club so it's like i loved that we had all of these moments and we'll we'll get onto a few of our guests and we'll get onto a few of our outside of of london ones because there's some fun stories there but yeah i really do think things like that that people would come up and ask oh what's this track and bill would say or i would say or ross would say it's like oh i made it oh where can i hear it it's playing now <laughs> stop talking to me and enjoy it because you can't hear it anywhere else and that was there was a beauty in that, particularly in an era where everything is available t- to everyone. Obviously, it killed crate digging a bit because you find an amazing sample and then you can go online and find exactly everyone who's found it and so on and so forth. So there was a beauty in that. Well, what happens in that basement stays in that basement as such was, yeah, a And don't thing. forget as well, like, how many, like, 90s, noughties R&B nights popped up? Like, we can get onto that, but we stood the test of time and I think that's because we're all mates we all know each other and we all want to listen to what each other played so really there was there's not a lot of treading on toes which is kind of crazy really for you know we did our playlist we've got 100 great hip-hop records but really if you look at it like I know that Stuart played 10 these are pips sort of 20 here's what Ross would play mix of old school here's some of the things that influenced me that's quite good that started to become the tough thing of of seeing who's kind of bagsied here's my classic track like we couldn't argue with Ross on Smash Something because he literally produced it. So it's like, right, I guess that's that's Ross's. But I had Anti Up. I'd get yeah. annoyed if anyone yeah. went near Anti Up. Um, <laughs> Stu obviously had, had Dawn Penn. But with Stu, I want to talk about the, the highs and lows of Stuart Whiffin was another th- thing I noted because the low was two or three times because you would do early doors. And it, as much as we joke, it's a tough set because... You're trying to get people dancing for the first time. 
you're having to be comfortable with the fact that you might not get them dancing depending on the on the night depending on how busy it is early you've got to live with that but the bit that cracked us up the most times and gave us the most laughs because I would be there from from start to finish pretty much every time so when Stu's doing a quieter set it's us two having a chat but the two or three times that someone came up to ask a question and your little eyes lit up excited to be like oh they're going to request a song or they're going to compliment and I went sorry mate can you turn it it down we're trying to talk <laughs> and how yeah, was that? I mean it, it was, was heartbreaking it was, right it was kind of um sporadic <laughs> but the, the, the other ones again weren't requests the other ones were like um where's toilets mate fuck's sake like yeah. um yeah I mean if that's basically uh all we're going to discuss about uh my 10 years of DJing um can I just mate I, I, I said it's highs and lows I've got a high as well to bring up so don't you worry about that <laughs> <laughs> oh right okay well can i just touch on um the opening night because uh i've got a really strong memory of the opening night and at the moment we're, we're talking about how uh legendary we all were and how incredible this night was and how nothing ever went wrong there was uh, a discussion that you had being uh screwiest pip forward thinking maverick that you thought it was going to be a good idea to play slowies you don't really? I don't uh, really and have an erection this, section. I remember that. Uh, I remember oh, that. I don't, I don't remember it, but I'm yes, down yeah, with oh, that. Fuck I'm off. Back of course you did. Brilliant, brilliant. You went, I'm going to bring back the slow dance. I remember. And he actually announced it as well. He actually announced it on the mic. Br- really? Because, yeah, first yeah. few I had a mic as well. <laughs> well because I must have gone for... Because like, I yeah. continued to play Pony, but, you know... I think it was something more along the lines of, like, End of the Road by Boys to Men or something <laughs> like... <laughs> but I really have no memory of this, but I support it. I back it completely. Well, you 100% did, and you Brilliant. went, yeah, I'm, I'm going to bring, like, a slow section in. I was like, I don't think that's a good idea, mate. And you was like, no, no. And I was like, okay, well, you know, it's uh, it's, it's, it's your night as well. Let's let's see where we go with this. And, uh, and obviously, I just kind of sat back with my arms folded at the back of the DJ booth with a little smug grin on my face as it absolutely bombed. But Because uh, I, yeah. I, I did always enjoy, like, later on, on down the line, pulling off a slower track. Like, yeah. uh, the weekend's version of Dirty Diana was always one mm. I'd love bringing in at the end of the track, and it's so quiet and slow, and everyone, it would kill the vibe for a second. And then as soon as the vocal came in, it would bring people back. And that was... That was always a favourite thing. But we all had our, our wins and losses, and we'll get onto that as well. There has been times that I tried something and it didn't work. But the the high I wanted to talk about was, as mentioned, for the first year or two, it was every month. And then after a while, when I was touring more and we were busy, we went to every other month. And on one month, we landed in December. And because we were always the last Sunday of the month, we landed in between Christmas and New Year, which is, in my mind, a nightmare. Like, how do you get anyone out of their house in between Christmas and New Year? A Christmas Eve, all right, I can can see that working. New Year's Eve, brilliant, but in between the two. But we did it, and for some reason, during Stu's set, we had a full dance floor from pretty much the start of the the, the doors opening right like, like as you know again this isn't a diss to, to stew any club night the doors have to open and it gradually fills up it's why that is a tougher set because you don't just get to 
to buzz off the energy. You have to build the energy. Sure. But you were DJing and we started to get busier and busier and busier. And we were like... Completely different crowd as well. It was no faces that we'd recognised before. Not at all. And then I don't know if you knew it was going to happen, but you picked candy and -hmm. you slung candy on. And I was... As you remember, my eyes let up because all of a sudden the whole dance floor started to do the candy dance routine. I didn't know about the candy dance routine, so I was like, "What is happening here?" And I remember, like, we filmed it, and yeah, that was a classic lizard's moment, right? Like, how was that for you? Because again, I'm not having a go, but you did have to do a lot of sets where it was quieter, and this was a night that we thought it would be the quietest of all, potentially quiet all night, and then you have. That's got to be a highlight of your, your DJing career, having the whole crowd synchronised dancing. Yeah, I mean, I really like doing the opening sets because obviously uh, uh, at the club I, I do in Essex, like I kind of DJ throughout the night and it's it's a lot less technical. So I can get away with being, you know, a prime time DJ there because my, my, my actual technical ability is shit. But which meant that I could do the warm up thing and just play records that I really liked uh, that I thought would get people moving. Um, and being old, and, and 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 me and Ross are, are the same age. When we was at school, Cameo was a huge band for us, and like cer- certainly me. And the joy of wasn't seeing the dance floor in unison. The joy was your face. Yeah. The joy that you thought there was some kind of, um, what do they call it, where people a just start mob. dancing? A, a flash mob. <laughs> yeah. like, like I'd organised something. Like you was just filming it, like what the hell is happening? And I was like, it's candy. It's what happens. And like, But I'd never played it before at that night. And, uh, and yeah, it was, it was wonderful because it was a night that we thought was going to be probably rubbish and we might even lose money. And it was really busy from very early on. And the crowd were just completely up for it. And, yeah, and we got to play Candy and get that response. It was amazing. Well, speaking of losing money, let's talk about a few of the lizards outside of London because we had some great ones. (laughs) And we had some great ones in Manchester and in Birmingham. But I remember one in Birmingham, Stu, with me and you backstage at the end of the night, and we'd agreed everyone's fees. And the way it worked was we agreed everyone's fees and then we split what was left. Mm for better or for worse mm-hmm. um and we've and we've paid bill and we've paid ross and we've paid chris and then you go all right we got 30 quid each and then and, and then i turned around and went petrol was 40 quid as, as, so we had a tenner each <laughs> so we took home a tenner each um but the Birmingham ones were always fun and and the, the one time oh, oh we did manchester it did get quite busy in the end and it was it was a decent one, but um, I think we did it at Gorilla, was it? I could be wrong. It was somewhere was it like that. 2022 club? Maybe, was maybe. It, it could be that, yeah. I wasn't there for Manchester. I was on a holiday. Mm. I always remember it, the Manchester one. I made a mate who I still talk to to these days, this girl, Lindsay, because there were two girls there early doors who were just kind of near the booth. And this girl came over and said, can I have a photo? Because me and my boyfriend got tickets for this night because he's a fan of yours and he dumped me last week. So I want to have a photo with you and post it online and show how much fun I'm having. I was like, well, move around because you're here early. There's no one here. So we had a quick photo to piss off her ex. And then it it was one that we we built and built and it was a, a solid night. But Birmingham was, the, the hare and hound in Birmingham was 
one that we got some busy nights at and had a really good time, right? We've done a few there, didn't we? We must have done maybe yeah. four there, maybe five. Uh, we did four or five at the Hare and Hound, and we did one, which I don't think Stu came to, at the Birmingham Institute, which it was the, the, the HMV Institute. It used to be, I'm sure it was... Sanctuary. S- sanctuary, yeah. Um, and we had our own room, and I think that room peaked at four people. But I remember <laughs> me, Ross... Bill and Chris having the best night ever because they'd just redone Sanctuary. So the sound system was amazing and the speakers on stage were amazing. So we just played for each other. And I remember that being a genuinely enjoyable and classic night. But do you remember how cold it was yeah, in there at it was night? Cold. So it we was all, like the coldest so night of the year. We all had our coats and hats on and stuff still. <laughs> Hats. I was DJing with gloves. But, but I was playing hats. stuff that I've never played before <laughs> because there was like an idea, an ability song that I wanted Ross to hear, but hearing <laughs> it in just through this amazing system, so despite the fact no one was there, that is one of my favourite Liz's nights because all four of us were just having it. Just vibing, yeah. vibing. At the, um, at the Hare and Hounds, I played a really good set. I was sort of pack, like patting myself on the back that I'd smashed it and I got off stage and this girl comes up to me and she says, you're the third best mashup DJ I've ever heard. <laughs> I mean, who's one and two? Like, yeah. Harry Mashup was like number one, and then it might have been like, I don't know, Drive Bunny number two, and then I'm creeping in number three. Yeah. Oh, so offensive. Yeah, you're the, you're the third. I don't know any other mash. You're the third best mashup DJ I've ever heard. All right, cool. Oh, incredible. Should we go, lads? Get, get that petrol in the car. Get that, yeah. get that petrol money. We need Let's to go. Make a move. Stu, do you remember? <laughs> At the Hare and Hounds is where I laughed more than I've ever laughed in my life. And I think it was one where I wasn't driving because a few I drove, a few Ross drove, a few Bill drove, I think. And we all kind of, we we took, took that in turns. turns. But mm. at the I'd Hare get and regularly Hounds, introduced as your driver. Yeah, that was an ongoing Oh, of course, yeah. Isn't it? Oh, this, is driver. Get, this is uh, This is Destruction. I'm Stu Pip. This is Promoters. And this is our driver, Bill. <laughs> Um, but during Stu's set I think it was or it might have been my set for some reason I can't remember how it started but we were coming up with different surnames for a DJ called Dan and it might have been because we'd been talking about Dan Lassac maybe I'd put I'd spelt I'd got something wrong on some artwork with Dan Lassac or something and, and something had happened like that and so we was doing different variants of the name Dan yeah and the only only one I've noted because there was loads and loads and loads, and then I just whispered it like I struggled to get it out of my mouth, and I whispered in your ear, "Dan and Granddad," and and we were just in absolute bits for so long, and it's not going to seem as funny now, but but we had had a good hour or two of different Dan something. Um, that and, destroyed yeah. me. That did. <laughs> <laughs> I remember whichever of us was actually DJing, str- struggling to get the next song on and then continue laughing at oh, the idea brilliant. of Dan and Grandad. But it was also on the way back from Birmingham that um, me, you and Chris, Stu, so I guess Ross maybe drove himself. It might not have been one that Bill made, but that it was on the way back from Birmingham that Chris was drunk and eating a, a load of scampi fries and was trying to rap a particular song. No, no, yeah, you were driving because you were sober, weren't you? No, no. Or was no. I driving? Bill was driving. Bill was driving. I was in the passenger seat on the on the Orcs. 
And I, I, I was the in tunes. the back with Chris. So either you was it? Phil was driving, or maybe yeah. Ross. I don't think I, I don't recall no. that. I don't think I was there, so I must have driven I think myself Phil was back. Driving. I've got a vague memory of Chris yeah. not being quiet the whole trip, and people are trying. It's probably four in the morning. People are trying to nod off, and Chris. That was a common theme. And going and, and going and, and going. And we'll get to some bits of drunk Chris at Lizards at, at the book club, but Chris, part of his job was he DJed amazingly. For starters, he was a great DJ. Originally, me and him DJed together. Like the first year, it was yeah. me and Chris doing sets together, and I adored that. But then, when we started to get more time, he wanted his own set, and we just, you know, we had our own sets. And part of the essential service that Chris provided was f- getting drunk and having it. Like mm-hmm. he'd be in the booth for all of our sets, proper going for it, and mm-hmm. it'd bring the vibe up for me. It'd bring the vibe up for all the DJs. Not, but not me. But I was going to say, but at the book club, <laughs> when we've normally then either got a 30-minute journey home with Chris the, that drunk, or we're all going our separate ways. Whereas with Birmingham, <laughs> we always drove home <laughs> for some reason, and we never stayed the night. With Birmingham, we had a two- or three-hour drive with Chris quite drunk. So there was a fair few n- noisy moments, right? And I, I remember one that Stu was just as said, not happy. Because when Stu gets drunk... He gets tired, and gr- grumpy, tired stew does not mesh well with dr- drunk hyper Chris. I mean, it was about five o'clock in the morning, uh, uh, and, and we was driving home. But there's two incidences of, of Chris in the car, uh, both times where he's took me to the edge. What was the rap he was trying to do, Pip? It was by a rapper called Beans, who is in anti-pop consortium, so it's quite obscure. And it was a, one of their songs that just goes, my body, your body, no body, anybody, not the best, but do my best to get better, better to move a body. And Just made me angry hearing that. I would enjoy yeah. doing that because I'm a rapper. I'm, I, 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 I've you was encouraging him really 100%, low. 100%. I was challenging him because I would do it, and i go, y- y- your turn on the next one, Chris. And he would just... My buddy, my buddy, 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 and just screaming. It, it's not just screaming, fries. spitting that's, scampy fries in my face. That's a trigger for me hearing that. Yeah, yeah, that's the, that's brought it back uh, for you. Yeah, you remember um, now? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but we'd also get Chris to freestyle a lot on the drive home. We'd no, we wouldn't. Like we, we wouldn't. We wouldn't. I would get Chris to freestyle on the drive home for my amusement at Stew's fury. <laughs> when he moved to London, it was such a win for me because there was two things. A, he could do the last set and we could fuck off home early. Yep. And we could fuck off home early and he wouldn't be in the car. That was good times. Yeah. Probably probably the golden era lizards for me. I mean, <laughs> we need to give a quick shout out. And part of this is only for me and Stu, really, but to the unsung lizards. So are you, are you, are your Mrs would DJ every now and then towards the end became a regular opener Mm -hmm. and come along and my brother did the door for many many years and Mm -hmm. would drive us to and from so but it was a it was a fair trade-off because on the way home he had to put up with drunk Chris drunk me drunk Stu but on the way there we had to survive his terrifying playlists because he's he knows more about music than anyone I've ever met, but it also means he'll be like, oh, I'm really enjoying this obscure album that a guy made from prison and it's mainly screaming. And it'd just be, he'd have it quite loud. I, I remember Carol, your missus being in the car for, for, for one of them 
and leaning forward, kind of terrified again. What's this, Ian? Because <laughs> it was, we'd got in and there wasn't any chat because he had it up quite loud. But yeah, th- th- there were some moments on the ways, the ways to and from. And Ian had to put up with our drunk mates turning up. Yeah. Most memorably of all, Mutt, our mate who would come regularly and always be absolutely hammered by the time he got there, who Ian had the stamp and lifted up his hand holding the stamp and Mutt fist bumped him. <laughs> <laughs> just thinking he was saying hello and it was like, all right but yeah some good moments away from home but there was none as good as as the book club right we would get the ceiling sweating by the oh in fact let's speak about south end a little bit because 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 i was going to go through a few of the the regular guests and eddie temple morris comes to mind him and john kennedy at the sun rooms in south end that was the second ever lizards I oh, seem to really? remember. And that was, we, yeah, we yeah. kicked off at the book club, and the following weekend we were in South. And End. that was one where Eddie and talks about Eddie. it all the time. His set was absolutely amazing, um, and he talks about it because the ceiling was dripping, it was rammed, and yeah, that was a real classic, wasn't it? I just remember him dropping the sound of the police yeah. and straight after into Cypress yeah. Hill. <laughs> And I thought I'm going to nick that, so that went in my. Yeah. Set, he dropped. So. He dropped a drum and bass mix of "When the Sun Goes Down" by the Arctic Monkeys. I remember him playing that that night and thinking, "Whoa, what's this?" This yeah. and it went off. Yeah. So, so Eddie was hundred uh, percent a highlight guest, right? He came back many times. He felt like part of the the gang. It's annoying with the sunrooms because. I called it to stop doing them at the sunrooms because it was either at that night or if we did another one there, I think we did two there. It was a one of them that a mate of mine had her drink spiked. And I was like, as a kid, I, I, I loved the sunrooms because there was a bit of an edge about it. <laughs> you know, you, you were like, it's a bit lawless. Like there's too many people in this room. <laughs> it's louder than it should be. But when you're suddenly promoting a night, lawlessness doesn't appeal anymore and it's fucking ugly and it's one of the things i liked about the book club was we had for the bulk of it good doorman who would we had the had the right crowd and again we'll talk later about the crowd changing slightly but on that there was years of of doing it at the book club where we had no trouble whatsoever which is on that yeah go on can i I just chirp Mm. in with unsung heroes there so a multitude of, of management that we worked with there, uh, notably Miguel, uh, I want to shout out. Yeah, 100%. Uh, who, you know, that that venue is a tight-run ship. And I've worked in a lot of venues, you know, over the last 30 years. And that is on point. For that location, that amount of people in that kind of – in a setup that involves two floors, a small staircase, they've got it locked down. And, you know, at, at the peak of it, you know, we should also point out in 10 years, pretty much 99.9% of them nights were sold out. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and never at any given point, if there was all manner of craziness going on, if you just leant through and just went, any chance of like a jug of Coke and, you know, and a couple of beers, within seconds it was there. And it was just like, you didn't want for anything there. They left us to do what we'd done and they'd done what they'd done and it worked perfectly. So, yeah, just shout out the setup there. It was brilliant. M- Miguel's a great unsung hero because he he ran it like a shit, but also he made it fun. Mm. You know, he'd come over mm. with shots and, yeah. and with whatever else. So it, it wasn't like we've got this strict guy and that's what's needed. He managed to keep it strict, but 
bags and bags of fun and no trouble and, and no issues. But speaking of that, obviously, Lizards is where the drunk cast came about, essentially. It was you, you me and Chris outside Lizards, often talking about UFC, often to Miguel. But it's also the birthplace of the 2019 and 2018 cocktail of the year, the Strubius. And that came about because of another unsung hero, DJ Yoda, who I I'd decided what I was going to try for my sets was gin and Pepsi Max. Because we generally get beers or ciders or whatever else. And I thought, I want gin and Pepsi Max. I was on a bit of a health kick, so I wanted a sugar-free fizz and a, and a white spirit. I was like, here's what I'm going to do. But I felt like a prick asking for it. But DJ Yoda was DJing. And because he's my mate, it, it generally, I'd be there for his whole set, making sure if he needed anything, he could he could ask me. So I said to Stu, Yoda wants a big jug of Pepsi Max and a bottle of gin, you know, in an ice bucket. And all Yoda... I wanted was some Pepsi Max because he was driving. He wasn't even drinking. But yeah, it was it was the birth of the Scroobius that became a mocked drink. And then to my annoyance, I'd get my Scroobiuses in. I'd be DJ and I'd turn around. There's Chris pouring himself a Scroobius. There's Stu pouring himself a Scroobius. <laughs> I'm like, there's beers in the fridge for you, pricks. If you're if you're all laughing <laughs> at my Scroobius, but yeah, that was a that was a book club b- baby in and of itself. Doesn't taste good though, does it, Pip? Tastes amazing. It tastes Does amazing. It? By the Is end, it? I'd have people coming up and offering to buy me a Scroobius, and I'd feel really awkward because I'd be like, "That's lovely of you, but I get them free, <laughs> so don't I'll, I'll <laughs> waste your money. I'll just get them off. I'll just tell the bar to send them over." And yeah, cocktail of the year. Yeah, they're buying you one. They're not buying themselves one. They would also buy themselves. Don't bullshit that you didn't end up drinking scr- Scroobiuses, Stu. I can say that Ross and Bill maybe didn't. But yeah, you I'll, definitely I'll, ended up on them. I was all over him. I was like glitter on glue after the first one. They're like crack. <laughs> no, it's delicious. I'm not. I'm not saying it's not a thing. I'm just saying neat gin's not very nice. Pepsi Max, in my opinion, is not very nice. It's just smashing those together. But yeah, smashing them together, and it's weird how it makes them g- gorgeous, isn't it? Um, anyway. <laughs> Speaking of Yoda, another unsung hero, because he played three or four times, if not more, and he's a big name, but he would come down, and he enjoyed it because it wasn't a DJ Yoda gig. After we the wouldn't first announce one, it, would we? Yeah, we we'd really normally announce not it. announce it, and he'll be a surprise guest. There was one that we announced, and I'll get onto that, because there's another unsung hero, but yeah. He'd come down, and because it wasn't a DJ Yoda gig, he didn't have to do a specific theme or all of his hits or whatever. He could just have some fun. And that was an absolute joy, right? To watch, to be there in the booth with Yoda as he's killing it in a sweaty basement, whereas normally he'll be in a big venue or a big festival or whatever else. Well, it was like Yoda not doing AV sets, wasn't it? So he wasn't doing <laughs> yeah. video. He was just playing what he wanted to play. So it was almost yeah. like a break from the pressure of you know, a really tight AV set and then yeah. coming and just smashing it with records. Do you want to hear my upset, upsetting DJ Yoda story? Yes. So it's the week that Prince passes away and we all know that we're all going to play our favourite Prince records. So I kind of know throughout the years who's going to play what. And uh, I'm, I'm, I'm warming up for Yoda, right? So I'm like, I can't play any Prince because we know Yoda's going to play some Prince records. So... Yoda gets in the booth and I'm just finishing up my set and I'm having a chat. It's probably the first time I met Yoda. For some reason, there's never any crossover. 
And um, uh, we, we're talking about Prince and how sad it is. And uh, Yoda goes, yeah, I'm going to start my setup with a, with a Prince mashup. Like, I've been working on it and this is what I'm going to do. And just as we turn around and the bootleg I'm playing just kicks into Kiss by Prince. And Yoda goes to me, you, you fucking kidding me? And I'm like, yeah, over to you. Over to your... <laughs> Your Prince Melody, <laughs> and that's like there's a, there's a list of upsetting really good DJs by mistake, and you know you're not there to be an arsehole. Dude, I, I f- forgot like this was going to do this, but yeah, just talking about Prince. I'm going to play Prince. Don't play Prince, and then you just play play Prince. So yeah, <laughs> Go straight into Prince. <laughs> that's amazing. At least it was a Prince track that no one knew. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> 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 yeah. I love it. I love it. Did you? Either of you guys have any memories of, of Yoda sets and, uh, yeah, enjoying his mayhem? Did Yoda play the very first ever Lizards night we did at the book club? No. Was it Eddie, the first guest? I remember playing the third Lizards. That's when I came in. I think it was the third Lizards. I, I know, I that, right. I know that, 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 that Yoda and Zane were both within the first few months because it was either at the end of the first year or the end of the second year ah. that we did Zane v Yoda. That was the Christmas, yeah, the Christmas party. party. Just before and Christmas. Just yeah, to that touch was crazy. on Zane, Zane was one of my favourites to have. Because again, huge name, playing mm. out to big venues, had no need to come and play a sweaty little venue for us. But the beauty was, at that point, people didn't know. People thought that Zane was just some Radio 1 DJ. And they didn't know that he can fucking tear it up on the deck. So... People would be there like, oh, all right, the Radio 1 guy's on. And then he'd play the best set you've ever heard. It was almost like a DMC yeah. set. And um, trap music had just came out and it was blowing up in the States. So that was like my one of my first introductions yeah. to hearing the, the trap kind of music. And he mixed it up with some dubstep. And that absolutely blew me away. I've got some of it on yeah. video as well, so I'll have to share Completely. it with you guys and, at some and that, point. And that Christmas one you touched upon, we build it as Zane Lowe versus DJ Yoda. And I had so many yeah. people saying, that's not much of a contest. And then they came <laughs> and saw Zane absolutely yeah. kill it and Yoda absolutely kill it. But again, how mad is that? Because what was the capacity in, in that basement? In the basement, I would say 250. So 250 people, and we've mm. got Zane Lowe and DJ Yoda back-to-back in a sweaty basement in Hoxton at, like, at that point, a £5 <laughs> head. Can, Five can anyone else in. remember? So my memory of Zane on the opening night, uh, sorry, not the opening night, his, his first time he DJed there, he was on the mic as well. Yeah. And so he was chatting loads, and obviously Zane's voice you know, Radio 1, so everyone knows Zane's voice. And he's, you know, Zane's cool as fuck. And he was just chatting, and then he was playing trap, and he was playing hip-hop, and he was playing, like, really fucking huge moving tunes. And then he just went, right, Shoreditch, you all think you're cool. Uh, Let me tell you what's fucking cool. And he just cut the music, and he dropped Ace Spades by Motorhead. And I remember just thinking, I did not see that coming. And I remember thinking... Was it Moed or was it Slayer? It was Slayer. Was it? And I remember thinking, if I got on the mic and I went, oh, hey, right, you think you're fucking cool, have some of this. And I played Slayer, everyone would be like, fuck off, mate, and we'll just leave. <laughs> Zane Lowe does it, took the roof off. Well, let's talk about Zane, because he also did a bit where he was just, I think it was Rage Against the Machine he was playing, and it was building up 
fuck you, I won't do what you tell me, building up to the kick in. And just before it kicks in, he paused it and turned to me and went, you, you, you good, Pip? How's it going? And just chatted in, a, in silence and then unpaused it and let it drop <laughs> and everyone just lost their shit. It was of the slickest shit and it caused me, it then inspired me at a future date to have Stu's favourite moment of my set. And do you, do you want to talk about watch this? 100%. Go on. Go on, mate. Okay, okay, okay. Hold up, hold up, hold up. I'm going to pause you there because we've got more to talk about. There's loads more stories to come and the continuing mystery. I know at the start, I told you Chris was part of this episode. Will Chris turn up before we wrap things up or will he miss the whole reunion? And again, I've got to, I've got to point out here, the, the, the date that we recorded this was Chris's idea. The time that we recorded this was Chris's idea. So, um, you know, I'll take some bets now. If you want to hit me up on socials on whether or not you think Chris will turn up for part two um, or by the end of part two, then, uh, yeah, come and say what you got to say. So, uh, yeah, part two out very soon. Until then, stay safe and stay sane. Ta-ta.